Welcome to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhamford.org. We're in Revelation 2, okay? and so if you have your Bible, whether physical or digital, you can flip it open to Revelation 2. And last week, Jeff did a great job, I thought he did a masterful job, actually, of the uh, talking about the church in Pergamum. That's week three of our seven churches in Revelation uh, uh, series. And um, this week, we get to that fourth that fourth church, and I'm not going to read all the scripture at one time. It's a longer portion of scripture for the fourth, uh, fourth piece. But, but before we get to that, let me, and it's going to start in verse 18, just so you know. But before we get to that, let me make a, a definitive, let me, let me make a question for all of us. Pose a question about the church. And the question is, is in, in order for the church to remain steadfast in doctrine, that, <coughs> excuse me, wow, that came out of nowhere, um, steadfast in doctrine, otherwise known as what it is that we believe. So in order for us to stay steadfast in doctrine as well as in duty, what are we called to do then? The church always has to go back to the answer of why is it that we do what it is that we do? Why, why are we here? Why does the church exist? Are we here simply so like you guys have an opportunity for those of you with kids to like, I'm just going to go put my kids over there for an hour and that way I have just like an hour of freedom where I can just relax and that's, or, or like why do we do the lights at FBH that we're doing or the, or the fall carnival or Wednesday night dinners or like, like why do we, why do we come here and read from an ancient text and do our best to try to like, why do we do all, is it so like we can, like we can feel good about ourselves? Or is it so like the community can be stronger because people are more moral? Like, is that why we do these things? And of course, those things may be byproducts of it or, or whatever it may be. But the truth is the church has a responsibility to serve God because of the fact he sent his son to die for our sins. That's why we do what we do. We serve God because God sent his son to die for our sins. And we serve him in a way that shows love to other people. The hope and goal then is that non-believers would come into a saving relationship with Jesus as well. That's why the church exists. I say it on a regular basis that the church is God's plan A for the world. Meaning the kingdom is going to expand or shrink based on how healthy the church is. And so when the church fails at its job, the church cannot endure, then the church will slowly but surely fade away into non-existence. Or the church is going to compromise and it'll end up looking exactly like the culture in which it is embedded. Meaning there's no difference between the church and what's happening in the world. Those are the two options when the church compromises. That's what happens to this church here, this fourth this fourth church is my it's my favorite church to say it's the church of Thyatira is how you pronounce that um, and the church has lost its backbone when it comes to specifically and you're going to see this when it comes to sexual purity and it compromises in such a way that it forces it to look like the culture that it is now a part of so if you're new with us and you're here specifically because of baptisms and all of those things and you're like oh because as I was looking through it, I was like, oh, we got baptisms. I wonder what I'm talking about that day. And I go and I look at what I'm talking about. I'm like, cool, church in Thyatira, God's wrath against sexual immorality. Should be a good time, right? Um, so welcome, welcome to church, everybody. But, and, and I do want to say this. It is going to be very, very, it would be very easy this morning to point fingers at churches and individuals who do not see eye to eye with us um, on doctrine regarding homosexuality. 
So that being said, our statement on homosexuality is our church stands on the biblical definition of marriage, which is essentially one man and one woman as long as they both shall live. That's where we stand when it comes to, yeah, you can clap for that, I guess. Um, So even though you may think to yourself, maybe at different points this morning about churches whose doctrine has slipped and maybe they've they've compromised in in that realm, I want you to return the focus back to uh, what it means for you as an individual and what it is that you can take from this. Because this passage is a whole lot more than just sexual immorality. That's not all this passage is talking about. If you leave this morning and that's all you hear from me is that other churches have bad doctrine regarding sex and homosexuality, you've missed what I am trying to say. And I get it. Like, I think it's easy, like I said, for us to point at the world, call the world sinful. It's obvious to us maybe that gender ideology, homosexuality, living together before marriage, like all of those things are sinful. It could, like, like that may be that we understand that it's wrong and I would agree with you that it's outside of God's created order and anything outside of God's created order is sinful. However, this morning isn't just about sexual sin. This morning is largely a continuation of Jeff's message from last week talking about Pergamum regarding compromise and regarding churches who have compromised what it is they believe inside the church and the dangers that can happen once compromise is acceptable in any way. So before I get to the text, I'm just going to get to it in just a second. We need to understand that this text is written to John to a church about that church, meaning the issues that Jesus is going to be warning about here are not issues in society. These are issues inside the church. And so we're going to see a very strict judgment of Jesus here, but the judgment that Jesus is going to put forth isn't towards people who don't know him. This is towards people who do know him and refuse to repent of those things. So do not look at society and think we are better than them, we are smarter than them, or anything like that. Look inside our own church and our own circles and recognize where it is that maybe you and I have compromised in our doctrine and where you and I have compromised in our beliefs. So with all that being said, let's dig in to verse 18. This is what it says. It says, to the angel of the church in Thyatira write time out right there okay so again this is a revelation of Jesus to John and John is going to send these letters to seven different churches in Asia Minor I know that Jeff was like Peter hasn't showed you guys a map of where all these seven churches are and I'm going to show you guys a map I don't care I don't have a map again this week so there you could because what are you going to do with that there's an ancient church that used to be there cool so anyway week four you don't get a map, but Jesus is show, he's writing this letter to, to John. John is supposed to distribute it, and this is the fourth church in Thyatira. Here's what you need to know about Thyatira. Unlike the church that I preached about, Smyrna, which was two weeks ago, Smyrna, as you may recall, was a very, very poor church, okay? They, like, like fiscally poor. They had no money, poor, and part of it was because of the persecution they were getting. That is not Thyatira, okay? Smyrna, also gorgeous, beautiful city, crown jewel of Rome, like it was gorgeous, right? That is also not Thyatira. Thyatira, as I think about it, it's a bunch of blue-collar people with a whole bunch of warehouses, a whole bunch of trade is going on, so they don't care about how it looks, they don't care about how shiny anything is, they just want money in their pocket. And so financially speaking, this church specifically, this city more specifically actually, is going to be a very wealthy 
area. And it's because of all of the trade that comes in and out. Think about like old ports and that sort of thing. You're like, man, this place is kind of gross. Yeah, it is. But they are trading goods and services at this place. And that's what's going down at Thyatira. So the angel of the Lord to the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Okay, as always, as we're starting out with these letters to these different churches, there is a different description about Jesus to start each of these. This is the definition, this is the description that we have here. This is actually a throwback to chapter 1 in Revelation, verses 12 to 15, where John sees Jesus for the first time. Right, John, he's hanging out on Patmos, he hears a loud voice, he turns around and he describes Jesus in Revelation 1 verses 12 to 15 and how it is that he looks. The language used here about this description of Jesus is very similar to the language that John uses in Revelation chapter 1. Beyond that, that these, like, these descriptions of Jesus, largely metaphorically speaking, have a lot to do with the issues that are happening in the church as well. And so as we look at this definition in verse 18 where it says his eyes are like blazing fire, essentially he is able to see everything and whose feet are like burnished bronze, that means that he is steadfast, right? He is not moving. That is who Jesus is and that's the, that's the description. We'll see how it gets there uh, a little bit later and how those two play against each other. But verse 19 says this. He says, I know your deeds. This is Jesus talking. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you're now doing more than you did at first. Okay, so this is good news. Remember, we talked about like that compliment, criticism, compliment sandwich that Jesus uses all these times. He's going to start by saying, you're doing these things really, really well. And the things that he says are doing well, I mean, these are great things. Love, faith, your deeds, your service, your perseverance, right? And that you're now doing more than you did at first. That means they have grown largely as a church from where they started to where they're at now. So they're like, okay, man, things are going really, really well for the church in Thyatira. Contrast that to the church in Ephesus. We talked about Ephesus three weeks ago. Ephesus had lost their first love, which means that they were really vocal about Jesus into the community. They wanted everybody to know about Jesus, but largely they circled the wagons. They got too too into their doctrine, and they stopped caring about the outside world. Thyatira, as we're going to see, is going to be the opposite. Okay? And so Thyatira only is going to start caring about their doctrine or, or needs to care about their doctrine because they're too concerned with people outside of the walls of the church. And so largely we'll see these two things at tension. But they've grown. Thyatira is doing good things according to what, what Jesus sees. And so he, he goes through those kind of different qualities of, of godliness. He says, you're now doing, doing more than you did at first. But at that same time, just as we've seen with the majority of these churches that we've studied, there's also a serious matter of unhealthiness in this church. Look at verse 20 with me. It says, nevertheless, so compliment you, but I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. Okay. Time out. Jezebel in Christian circles for a long time have been used as almost like a metaphor, right? Used as, oh, this woman of ill repute, essentially, right? Like, how dare you let a Jezebel into your midst, right? You maybe have heard that, and that's maybe an, an older generation that used that more often than, than nowadays. Okay, but that is a word that is used and thrown around. This woman that he is talking about, Jezebel, probably not her actual name, but actual person. 
Okay, this isn't just some metaphor out there of like, oh, this is, um, this is ex- like a metaphor for the, the sin that you're partaking in. No, no, no. This is an actual person that Jesus is talking about. So he says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed by idols. Okay, this is the same kind of error and compromise that we talked about last week in regard to that church in in Pergamum. But in Thyatira, the temptation, the compromise was sexual immorality, doing what made them feel feel good. And beyond that, eating of food sacrificed to idols. That doesn't play to us here. Like we don't understand that side of things, right? I'll get to it in just a second. The bigger thing that we're going to camp on, you guys will probably understand more, is the sexual immorality side of things, okay? But that's largely what's happening. These compromises, not only in worship and how they worship, the eating of the idols of the other gods or other, other idols, not eating the idols, eating the food, sacrificed to other idols, um, and that sexual compromise. And so these enticements, they're largely even more pronounced because of the daily pressures of what's happening in the city. So you think to yourself, Hold on, there's a church, this church is doing really well. How come all of a sudden that he's talking about, but also you guys are sexually immoral and there's this lady, this prophet Jezebel who's leading you guys astray and also you're eating sacrifices to, to other idols. How does all of that play together? Remember what Thyatira was known for. Thyatira was a place of trade and business, okay? And so what that meant when there was things that, that w- with trade happening, that means there was a whole lot of people coming in and a whole lot of people going out to other areas, right? So that means you have different cultural influences, different gods who are being introduced to these different people in these different arenas. And so like daily pressures of these trade guilds is what they're called regarding the different goods and that sort of thing. They're deeply embedded into the social life of that city. Actually, we've, we've heard of Thyatira before. Many of you probably didn't catch it or won't catch it, but in Acts chapter 16, Acts is largely the Acts of the Apostles, the early church, right? Um, uh, there is a woman who comes to meet with Paul, Silas, and Timothy. Her name is Lydia. Lydia is from Thyatira, and Lydia brings, uh, brings with her uh, trade uh, uh, fabrics, dyed fabrics, specifically purple dyes that Thyatira was absolutely famous for. Successful businesswoman. She would have been the quintessential type of person who was from the church of Thyatira. Beyond that, there's a ton of inscriptions in the ruins of Thyatira as they've dug those things up that confirm the importance of the guild of dyers, right? These people who dyed these beautiful uh, cloth and that sort of thing. But also Thyatira is more known for more guilds than any other city in this this province of Asia. I mean, inscriptions found uh, speak of wool workers, uh, leather workers, tanners, linen workers, makers of outer garments, dyers, potters, bakers, slave dealers, and bronze smiths, right? This in itself is like, like it is a bustling city, and so even though this kind of, you know, economic, this industry was fantastic for economic well-being of the city, it was awful in terms of spiritual well-being for Thyatira. Why? Because the pagan practices of the Greeks and the Romans were woven into the very fabric of these guilds. No pun intended. 
right? That's largely what is happening here. Is there's all of these outside influences that are happening. Like, think about it, right? What would you do if your office party or company picnic all of a sudden included things that you knew that you shouldn't do, things that you knew you shouldn't be involved in? So for them, maybe it was sexual immorality or, or idol worship or whatever it may be. But for you, maybe the norm is, hey, let's come to this business party, and the, the, the norm is for everybody to drink to excess, Right? Everybody, man, we're just gonna, everybody gets really, really drunk at all of these things that we do. Right? That's the same issue that largely is happening here in this church because these pagan practices have just kind of like crept into what it is that they are doing. It made it very, very hard to be both a Christian and a member of the guild that they were a part of, the trading guilds that they were a part of. Right? And so living for Jesus could make it hard for you to make a living in Thyatira. Because you're having to say no to a lot of the things that everybody else is participating, uh, participating in. And so, so there's this woman then all of a sudden. We read here into this time of tension steps this woman named Jezebel, right? So-called or maybe self-proclaimed prophet. Um, like I said, probably not her real name. But as in the letter last week to Pergamum, uh, Jesus uses an Old Testament label to actually describe, uh, describe this woman, and it's essentially like this corrupt and corrupting queen of Israel in the days of Elijah. She corrupts people. This woman was also corrupting the church by te- teaching believers compromise instead of endurance. And that's largely what Jesus was pushing him towards. Stop compromising, endure. Stop compromising, endure. You can just imagine like her slippery words, right? Like, don't, don't, you, like, don't you know you're saved, you're saved by grace, don't you know that God cares about your spirit, not your body? Like, he knows what you believe. He knows, where, he knows where your heart, like, do you really believe God doesn't want you to have a good job? Do you really believe God doesn't want you to enjoy yourself? Like, didn't God create all of these things on earth for us to be able to enjoy, right? Why wouldn't he, why wouldn't he want you to enjoy those things, right? I heard that one time when I was in high school. I was talking to my friend. He was smoking pot all the time. And he was like, you're a Christian. Why did God put this on earth if he didn't want me to smoke it? Like, I, I don't have an answer to that question, but I'm pretty sure that's not the answer to that question, man. <laughs> like, I don't know how that goes. But, but you can just almost hear the words that would even resonate today, right? That it's just like, come on, is it really that big of a deal? Like, God knows your heart. Great, like, like you believe in grace. That means you can sin and you can still come back to, like, you can still be in eternity with Jesus forever. It's really not that big of a deal. So just go, like, go on, go and, and indulge, right? Actually, as I was reading this, um, Thyatira, I was just thinking about Thyatira, and Thyatira almost like exists as a church outside of all the other churches because they had slipped on doctrine when most other churches were doing decent with doctrine. It was like, oh, I could walk into this church and I understand, like, if you were to walk into our church or walk into many churches today, you would walk in and largely we would have the same statement of faith. The music might be a little different. The way we do baptism might be different. The preaching might be a little worse. But regardless of what it is, right, like, all churches are going to look a little bit different, but largely the statement of faith is going to be similar. You're going to expect Jesus. But then you walk into a church like Thyatira, and it's almost like you got transported back to the Old Testament where Jesus is consistently warning the Jews about, hey, don't marry into these different cultures because these other gods are going to corrupt what it is that you believe about me. And so I was thinking about it and it was, uh, I started thinking about like what other industry could we, could we see this like time warp in? And so I was reading and there was a, about nine years ago, the second largest tobacco company in the world 
started banning smoking from its corporate offices, which I thought was really funny. Because like you're, like you're banning people from using the product that, that you sell, right? It's a place called Reynolds American. They're the maker of Camel cigarettes. This is, the, this is the statement that they put out. We believe it's the right thing to do and the right time to do it. Now that we offer a full line of smoke-free products, it'll make our work environment more inviting for employees and visitors who do not smoke. Now, obviously, there's incredible irony to this in, entire situation, right? Um, but, and, and I don't know why it is, like why they, the, what the reasoning was for why they quit or whatever, but if, I were, if you or I were to visit these offices just a few years ago and encountered someone smoking at the elevator, or you walk in and the secretary's, you know, taking a hit real quick, you know, taking a drag off of a cigarette and ashing it in front of you and like, how can I help you, dear, right? Like, like that, <laughs> I didn't do that first service. I apologize um, for anybody who gets upset about that. But, but it would be like a time warp, right? Because like, I remember the days like 30 plus years ago where like you'd walk into California or walk into a restaurant in California and they'd be like smoking or non. My parents would be like non-smoking. I don't want my kids bringing that, breathing that in. I'm like, we're in the same building, mom. Like, does it really matter, right? And then all of a sudden they cut that off and it would be really strange to walk into a public setting and people would think it would be okay to be smoking in this space. And so like Reynolds American, the church in Thyatira was trying to live a completely different reality. They were tolerating Jezebel. They were tolerating that, turning a blind eye in spite of the danger that it posed. They were indulging in her error. They were indulging in her excess at that point. And we don't know exactly what the sexual immorality here is, but it is important to note that all throughout the Bible, Jesus consistently condemns sexual sin. God consistently condemns sexual sin. So it doesn't matter if it was like premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexuality, or Otherwise, there was sexual immorality happening in Thyatira, and Jesus is having none of it. He's having none of it. And so look how he addresses this kind of intolerance, gives a directive uh, to action in verses 21 to 25. And this, just so you know, this isn't Jesus' teddy bears, snuggly like Jesus. This is Jesus coming with wrath. Okay, this is what it says. It says, I've given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. He's talking about Jezebel here. Verse 22, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. So there's a couple directives here that we see, a couple things that Jesus is saying, okay, this is what you need to, to do now. And they're kind of coupled together with some warnings. And so verse 22, it says, Jesus announces there are consequences in store for anyone who compromises unless they repent of her ways unless they repent of her ways. And notice the, the mercy of Jesus here. We see the mercy of Jesus in verse 21. He's given Jezebel time to repent, but when she refused to turn from her error, Jesus was gonna take care of business. Like this gets heavy, especially when you get to the portion where it talks about like, I will strike her children dead. Then all of us kind of freak out a little bit, right? You're like, okay, Jesus, just chill out a little bit. Right? The idea of children here is more probably like her Jezebel's inner circle, 
her Jezebel's disciples, if you're like Gen Z, like Jezebel's influencers, right? Like that's who, that's who he's talking about. He's not talking about their literal children. This is going to be a curse on them or anything like that. And so this sounds really, really harsh, but I would ask you to remember the grace that Jesus offered at first. He said, look, I gave her a chance to repent. She didn't want it. And so then we think to ourselves, but man, he talks about a bed of suffering. He talks about this idea of like striking her children dead. Uh, like there's, there's a whole bunch of like heaviness here all of a sudden. And I don't know if I like that Jesus because the Jesus that I got talked about was like Jesus loves me a whole lot and he wants to hug me and he wants to have a lamb draped around his neck and bring him back to the other 99. And he's got short brown hair and blue eyes. And I like that version of Jesus because he's going to give me a hug. The reality is, is, is that Jesus is, a true, is the true Jesus, that God, Jesus is 100% love. He is not lacking in love. So when you say God is love or Jesus loves me or Jesus is love, that is 100% true. However, Jesus is so much more than that. He is so much more than this idea of like a savior, like a buddy that, that, hey, how's it going, man? I died for you. Oh, thanks, man, right? Like he is so much more than that. He is not just Jesus is all loving. Jesus is also all powerful. Jesus is 100% just. Jesus is 100% wrath. Jesus is 100% every, like all of his attributes are 100% and he's not lacking, including the fact that Jesus is full of judgment as well. And so that's the part of Jesus. This is the attribute of Jesus that we are seeing here is Jesus' judgment when he's saying, hey, look, she's so messed up. I gave her a chance to repent. I'm going to lie here on a bed of suffering. So I want you to now look at it from a gospel lens because that's what we're all about here, right? The gospel, the good news of Jesus. And so when we proclaim the gospel, we're like, hey, you guys are sinners in need of a savior. And so because of that, we would ask that you admit your sin. You would repent of your sin to Jesus we would ask that you believe that Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins because of John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life, right? So we walk, we walk with our, our, our shoulders back with those verses a little bit. And then we would ask that you would choose to follow him every single day. That's the gospel. There's a flip side to the gospel that we don't talk about. And it's when people don't decide to do that. And the flip side of the gospel is largely, look, admit that you're a sinner in need of a savior. No. Okay. So if, if the answer is no to the A, to the very beginning of admitting that you're a sinner in need of a savior, if you are not willing to repent, then what happens at that point is that you no longer get eternity with Jesus. You no longer get eternity with God. Now, let me describe that a little bit for you, because oftentimes we're like, I don't, that means I don't have to sing a whole bunch of worship songs every day. That's fine. I get tired after standing four, right? But there's a, the, the other side of that is, remember that God has created everything good and beautiful and lovely and satisfying in our entire world, in our entire, anything that you get joy from, anything that is good, that you can, any, the, the softest pillow that you can imagine at the end of the night, right? The joy that you get when you watch your kids do something they've worked hard at. All of these different things, these joys and positive things that we have in our life cease to exist and you get to, you get to endure a bed of suffering when you say no to Jesus. And so before you think that, man, this text is really, really tough, this text is the gospel. This text from the very beginning is Jesus like, I gave her a chance to repent. She said, no, I am largely giving her what she has chosen. She has chosen to say no to me. She has chosen idol worship. And so because of that, she can have it. 
He is allowing her to make that decision on her own. And so then we continue on. There's another directive in verse 25. For those in the church who had not compromised, Jesus exhorts them. He says, hey, hold on to what you have until I come. So there's obviously some things in the church that the church is supposed to be there. But beyond that, there's some things that the church needs to, needs to be on guard against. And it's specifically going back to Jezebel and talking about her works, her compromise, like all of these different things. I'm going to strike her children dead. And like her, these people, they're all going to be dealt with. They're going to be dealt with by Jesus himself. Verse 23 says, he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. That's the connection back to the description of Jesus back in verse 18. His eyes of fire can see all things, and his judgment will stand just as he stands on feet like bronze. That's what's going on here. But as we pointed out in previous weeks, and we're going to continue to point out, Jesus does not end his message with a note of judgment and warning, right? Jesus, he always ends with a promise, an encouraging call to obedience. And this is what it says in verses 26 to 29, and we'll wrap up. It says, to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, he's talking to the people of the church, if you endure, if you do my will to the very end, I will give you authority over the nations. What does that mean? That means that we get to reign with Jesus in eternity, and that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my Father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, this is the way he closes all of the letters, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. There's two parts to this reward. First, you see 26 and 27, Jesus is saying, you get to reign with me if you endure forever. If you don't compromise, you get to reign with me. The second, which is a little bit more confusing, it's in verse 28. I will also give that one the morning star. What's the morning star? Where does that come from? Revelation, man. It's just like a little code, little box to, to decode. And that actually comes at the end of Revelation. Jesus revisits it in Revelation 22, verse 16. In Revelation 22, 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. To stand in Jesus, to stand and endure for the sake of the gospel or to repent of our compromise and turn to purity and belief, turn to purity and lifestyle, like all those different things, to endure for Jesus, Jesus means that one day receiving the fullness of Jesus himself is ours. We get to stand with Jesus at the end of time. And to have Christ is to have that light forever. No more darkness, never again. We never have to endure the bed of suffering that people who choose not to follow Jesus will indeed have to endure. And so the question this morning that I have for you, as we wrap up, the question this morning I have for you is, have you, have you put sufficient thought into who it is that you believe Jesus is? Have you put sufficient thought into that? Because everybody will be taken to account at some point. Jesus gets the ability to judge people for all of eternity. That you get to go answer for, did you admit that, and confess that you're a sinner? Did you endure? Do you believe that Jesus went to the cross for you? Or did you compromise on that? Because at the end of the day, Jesus wants more people, wants more and more people into his kingdom. And that's the church's responsibility to do so. So there's two things with this for us as we look at it as a church. One, we won't compromise. We're not going to compromise on our doctrine in that line is not going to move, nor should it. 
But the other question that we really have to wrestle with, and I need you to wrestle with as an individual, is have you compromised in some way? And if you have, it's time to repent and come back to the feet of Jesus saying, I'm sorry. I don't want to compromise. I want to make your name known, and I want to grow your kingdom every single day. Amen, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're, we're thankful for your son. And as weird as it is, Jesus, we're thankful even for your judgment. That as we think about you in this seat, we think about you with, with blazing fire and sword of the mouth and bronze feet and all of this crazy imagery that we see of you at judgment. God, that we recognize at the end of the day that, that, that Jesus is here to discipline us. Just as a good parent would, we would much rather discipline our kids than lose them forever. And so, God, I pray that we would be disciplined here at our church. That we wouldn't compromise, that we would endure. And that because of what is happening at FBH, because of the kingdom that is happening here, God, that you would never snuff out our lampstand. Father, we would have the ability to go into Kings County, into California, into the world to proclaim your name. But God, that starts here this morning. And so with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if there's someone in here who is just like, do I make a decision for faith? Do I acknowledge Jesus as Lord? If that's you this morning and you've just been teetering back and forth, just know that one day every single one of us will be asked about what it is that we believe about his son Jesus. And so if you want to acknowledge him as Lord and Savior of your life, I simply ask that you would repeat after me. Say, Father, A, I admit that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. That I fall short of your standard every single day. But B, I believe you sent your son to die on a cross for me. So I didn't have to pay the penalty of my sins. He did. And that C, I would choose to follow you every single day. We love you, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.